Welcome to our newest adventure for first responder wellness. No one fights alone. In-depth conversations about mental health and culture in the first responder space. We're joined by your co-hosts, Austin Pedersen and Brad Shepard. Glad to be back to uh, 2024 No One Fights Alone podcast. Austin, once again, we're having our favorite Ben Pearson in here. Welcome. Our first guest in the studio. First guest in the new studio. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Do you feel uncomfortable in here? No. This is a safe place at the moment. At the moment, with the blacked out windows. <laughs> Nobody can get in. The door is actually locked from the outside also. The safety, it's flexible. It comes and goes. Yeah, at the moment. Yeah. Well, yeah. with Brad in here, you might be a little unsafe. Yeah. yeah. As you can see, he's he's talked some lovely things about you over yeah, on this big... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's my favorite. Ben dresses like a bland rink Springfield. <laughs> I wanted to go back. Very it, it take him back. Take him back in time a little bit. That's fair. That's fair. What's twenty twenty four, man? Man, I love having Ben on uh, because he just makes so so much sense to some of the stuff we talk about, and he makes it so palatable. It's always so fun. But today, I think the the topic is we're going to talk a little bit about uh, group therapy. Because I think a lot of people maybe have some uh, maybe misinformation or misconceptions about what group is, and it's a really valuable tool. And I I'm looking forward to actually spending some time today. Just let's let's talk a little bit about kind of the ins and outs of it and why why it's so useful and how do we maybe how even people can seek it out and and use it to their benefit. Yeah, well, I want to explain what group therapy is because I think a lot of people are there's some misconceptions regarding it, but then there's also some truths. Um, You know, group therapy isn't utilized a ton outside of a pretty, you know, closed treatment setting, right? Like there, there is AA meetings and things like that, but that's not, that's not group therapy, right? That is somebody, you know, speaking up, but they're not receiving feedback. They're not, you know, it's it's definitely a very different uh, situation than most people are used to, and a lot of people are really uncomfortable with it because imagine, right, in a, in a group setting of people you really don't know, most likely you've met anywhere from the last zero to 30 days, and they want you to talk about your life. And a majority of the talk, and Ben, tell me if I'm wrong, is tough stuff. Yeah, no, it, there's there's definitely a certain amount of risk associated with groups that's a little bit different than individual therapy. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So when we when we talk about group therapy, um, there's different kinds of groups, and so there there are different kinds of expectations. And uh, if you don't know which is which, it's a pretty intimidating thing to walk into. So there are some groups that are very much um, Especially in the therapy world, there might be particular themes. So on an outpatient basis, it's more likely to bump into a group that might be focused on cancer or grief or um, some other particular reason why this group has come together. Uh, in treatment, in a residential treatment setting, we've, we've got the, the, the freedom to really navigate multiple tasks over the course of the week that you would just never encounter on an outpatient basis. But most folks... If they were looking for it, they could probably find a group. Um, but within that, it's it's got some pretty specific parameters. Um, but either way, when you're walking into group, um, for the most part, it's it's yeah, folks you don't know, 
Their level of comfort is something you don't typically know. Uh, you don't know if you have anything in common, and people usually have their guard up. And uh, yeah, most most people who are seeking treatment have been hurt. And so there's some trust concerns and there's confidentiality concerns. Uh, there's a n- number of scenarios in their head that they've already rolled through that are uh, dangerous. And if any of those things happen, that means I should retreat and go back into my shell and take care of myself and uh, hold on to whatever that issue is and wait this storm out as people normally do. So, yeah, for those who uh, jump into it, it's it's uh, it's an intimidating process. So I think there's some some, you know, there's some great conversation type questions that I think present. But I think let's start with actually just what's the what's the goal of group therapy? Because it 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 seems like just my perception, it seems like it's a little bit of a dying art. Um, because as we were talking before you came in, Ben, we were talking a little bit about, you know, group lead needs to be dynamic and uh, you know we there was there was a lot of things that that group leader is tasked with and it's pretty difficult to run a group by itself let alone you know the specific fragility of somebody who's hurting or traumatized or is in pain and you know how do you draw them out so let's start with kind of the you know what yep. is the ben pearson view of what's what's the goal what what what, what do you hope to accomplish with group therapy how is it helpful well, I think you're right. The the skill, <clears throat> um, it's it's definitely uh, uh, an art form that is uh, probably compared more to like a composer. A composer has has an, an eye on the big picture of where we're headed, and you know his job is to bring uh, you know timing and people and talents and assets all together at different times to kind of organize that chaos and. Uh, I know there's, you know, graduate programs where therapists can go and learn, but for the most part, they're not required to do it at a certain skill level. And uh, we live in a culture sometimes where there's not a lot of really solid feedback. We've all unfortunately encountered some mental health uh, professionals who are just winging it, just making it up, uh, trying things on. And um, yeah, unfortunately, those who get it can be pretty good at it and can really take a group that is pretty disorganized and has their guard up and really kind of point them in a direction about that is safe and that, that provides some focus and it provides kind of a group identity and that we might look on the outside as, as, as a bunch of folks who are just, you know, um, failures. That's how people often right. think of themselves as they walk into a treatment experience and uh, a, a good organizer of that can can help them see that you're you're not alone we are connected and there's there is some strength in our differences as well as at the core of this experience we're all pretty much in the same boat as you know fallible people but definitely trying their hardest to make good on uh you know their values and uh can can point that anxious energy into a positive direction and offer some real validation and encouragement to one another but doing all of that right off the the cuff is is tough and it does take some practice so one of the goals then of group therapy is bringing individuals together to bond and say hey you're not alone in this 
endeavor, this this mm-hmm. thing, whatever it, it it may be, this experience that you're not you're not alone, and the ramifications of that being what I hear you saying is that now you've you've drawn power and energy or some type of source from that, as well as maybe learning something that you could put into play and practice within your life. Yeah, I mean, anyone who's who's seeking treatment already has an idea, whether that's conscious or not, that they have some piece of hope, they have some piece of motivation that, that is telling them to take a risk and that or that the risk is worth it. So yeah, I, I think that um there there is an experience where again someone has contemplated that most of us talk ourselves out of taking risks, especially when it comes to the mental health side of things. Um, there's a there's a voice in all of our heads that that tells us that uh, people don't understand. If they learn about us, they'll reject us. Uh, that that I don't know how to use. Uh, I don't know how to make sense of these feelings. Uh, if I if I expose kind of my inner workings, people are going to reject me, and so. But there's there's something that drives all of us to to be better and to take some chances. And I think for the bold that decide to take that risk, um, they do find that the person sitting next to them is typically in a very similar spot and uh, finds finds some some pretty valuable connections with them. Well, you've been you've been doing this for a long time, right? And I mean, now with the population that you work with and the clients you deal with, I mean, there has to be. I would say probably a majority of them come in and they're like, I was not expecting this out of group therapy. Oh, sure. Yeah. I, I would say, and this is especially true in the first responder world, um, many of them want to, well, they, they might believe they just might know better. <laughs> uh, they, they, have been, they have been an expert in many areas and uh, they've become pretty accustomed to the control to to the perception of even though I might be wrong, I still want to make the call. I still want to make the decision. And so um, it's tough to give up that control for anybody. But I, I think in the in the, the first responder world, there is a, a tendency to lean on that control, especially when you're anxious, especially when you're out of your depth and you are needing to ask for some kind of help. And so um, that that is definitely a challenge. But I would say um, that, that is one of the pieces that, that kind of, uh, is, is just a factor in that process. But I think that a lot of folks that come in and over time, I've definitely seen those that have, uh, had an expectation of this is supposed to go my way. Um, as soon as they find a way, and a lot of times it happens faster than they expected. Uh, as soon as they recognize, okay, I, I, I probably can't, get all the things I want by micromanaging other people in this process. When they, when they see that, then the group experience then becomes uh, an asset as opposed to this strategic play where I have to outsmart everybody and make sure that they all give me what I need. You know, the, the, I've heard you say so many times, uh, really encouraging people to take a risk. Uh, and, and what comes to mind there is, is that, people live in this safety of their own pain and correct me if I'm, I'm wrong here, but part of it is the pain that I know is safer than the risk of exposing myself to greater what rejection, increased pain, loss of, you know, whatever this may be. 
But the reality is more oftentimes than not, people put themselves in that position of group and they recognize, wow, that was, that was amazing. It was so helpful. And sometimes they may not even have spoken. They've just listened. Right. Well, there's uniqueness in there, right? Like everyone, I believe, because it's a very personal thing, pain and suffering is a very personal thing, right? And when you're not in a treatment setting or didn't grow up talking about feelings or this or that, like you're, you're going to feel like my pain is unique. Sure. And the only person that's going to be able to help it is me. So one-on-one individual therapy is the only thing that's going to work for me. Sure. If I've been in my own head for 30 years, I've been right. Yeah, <laughs> sure. <clears throat> so I, I think that's that's definitely um, a pretty strong variable. I, I think there's a lot of folks that feel like, um, I mean, the comparisons, I don't know as humans if there's any way we can turn off those comparisons. That is just a reality. Um, whether or not the comparisons end up being an asset, um, that that's probably more of a concern. But we were talking just a few minutes ago before I came here, we were talking in group um, about some of the, the, the pretty provocative and sometimes uh, convincing messages of the shame that we spend so long living with. The, the idea that you know no one can handle it, no one understands it, um, even though I've never told anyone some of these deeper thoughts, uh, I'm pretty sure it's worse than and less fixable than everybody else's. So we, we end up kind of creating, uh, with, the, with the help of our ego, some pretty weird rules about how healing's supposed to go. And um, they're oftentimes pretty out of touch and pretty odd. And if, if someone else showed up and explained to us about how their weird rules work, we'd be like, this person is not well... <laughs> <laughs> even though they're exactly like our weird rules. So I, I think it's pretty interesting about uh, the group process and coming together with someone else is that you are, uh, in a way, being asked to kind of take off some of this armor that has kept you incredibly safe and uh, do a bit of a leap of faith and, and assume for a moment that uh, you're going to make it. So what I what I love about the group process is that when we we see people come in you know, day one, week one, with their armor on. Um, for one, it makes sense. I, I think that they they come into an experience where other folks are like, "Oh yeah, I used to rock my armor all day, every day." So, <laughs> you you holding up your armor like it makes total sense. I see you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. So I I think that is a pretty cool process that people that are just slightly ahead of you in this journey are, are going to acknowledge that that our defenses kind of makes sense. Um, I think sometimes we think of our defensiveness as sometimes this this shameful thing that someone is being rebellious or resistance, but we're all doing our best to kind of make it through alive. And so um, we bring those things with us to group, and it's it's pretty vulnerable acknowledging that, hey, I, I walk around all day, every day with this armor. My family doesn't get me either. No one seems to understand what's going on for me. Um and there's a, there's a piece of shame that goes along with that. So I, I think it's pretty amazing when folks can sit down with their armor and watch someone that's only a couple of steps ahead of them <clears throat> in this journey, and they can really have a vicarious experience through someone else. And you get to be there and watch bravery and watch vulnerability and watch, um, I like to phrase it as I, I get to... I get to basically learn how wrong I was in a, in a safe way. Um, most of us are not great at, 
acknowledging that we were wrong, that that voice in our head that's been holding us hostage and has kept us away from some of the most intimate, empowering things that are out there, um, we need to learn through experience that that overall, like, okay, that 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 voice may have served some kind of purpose, but overall, it's probably been wrong about a lot of issues, and so it's it's a pretty cool thing to watch someone that shows up and just watches people that they respect and know and identify with, take some risks, and get to see the benefits all in a pretty short amount of time. Yeah, but that's that's the, still the 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 factor that I'm coming into is like someone has to be willing right. to listen to all of that. Like that's that can be the toughest part I think with with group. Well, let's talk about that a minute. So so within you know chateau or a treatment, you're you're you have a captive audience. Like you're, you're but for those maybe listening out there that say, hey, could this help me? What what are they looking for, Ben? What what should they be seeking out? What kind of things could be helpful to them? Because I'm a firm believer. I, I'm an enormous believer. Because I come from a CISM background, so we did group debriefs, and mm-hmm. I, I see the value in that. But what what would be helpful to these first responders and, and folks out here who would be maybe uh, it would be beneficial for them to seek out a group? Um, I think in these kind of situations, it's important for us to remember that you've already, you're not doing anything different than you haven't already done. And I, I think sometimes we think that group is such a different animal. The, the reality is that most of us have, have had plenty of good experiences when it comes to groups, even though those groups might not have the same purpose, um, that we, we respect those in groups who are honest, laid out there, are clear, concise, and focused. So we, we respect a lot of the dynamics that are important. Um, sometimes we uh, obviously get a little squirmish when it comes to the more sensitive topics in our lives. But I, I think there's lots of folks who test. I think that's just human nature. We, we test the waters. We test people. Um, my, my encouragement for them is go ahead and test everybody. <laughs> Poke it. See what happens. As long as you can have the courage to recognize that some people are going to pass that test and give them some credit. And so I, I think that's uh, I think there's been moments where people have tested and pushed and people have passed their test, so to speak, uh, but they still kind of hold on to this. Well, maybe on the 27th time you might get it wrong. <laughs> uh, that That is someone who hasn't made a decision about what it is they're looking for and, and what it is that they, they want in this in this treatment experience. But I've seen a lot of folks who have been very guarded come in, test, and then uh, turn around and say, okay, I'll, I'll let you in a little bit further. I'll tell you a little bit more. And it's, I think it's, um, sometimes people think they have to just, you know, open the kimono and let everyone in and see everything all day, every day. And, and once you lower your defenses, then you're never entitled to put them back on again. But I don't, don't, I don't think that's wise, nor, nor good judgment. Um, but I do think as as you tiptoe into letting people know you a little bit, and most of us have some pretty positive experiences on an interpersonal basis with someone that we trust, we let them in a little bit. We're asking you to do the same things on a group experience, and and it might be um, again more risk, but I, I think most of us are coming to group because we we know that we need something big, we need something different, and it's worth the risk. 
um, I think as people take those risks and lower their guard a little bit, there there is a reward and there is some support that's there. But you're not going to see it until you take that leap. But you've also seen it fail too, right? Like you've seen people test and then the whatever insecurities may be inside of them or, or whatever it may be have come out and then they've not gotten anything out of it or they've secured the thought that this doesn't work for me. I, I do think that um, this might be probably more psychobabble than you were looking for, but um, the it, it depends what your motivation is. If if I think there's some folks that are really looking for an external validation and an external kind of reward, and when they test things, um, they they don't get what they were looking for. Um, I I've seen folks that have. Uh, jumped into this process and someone said it wrong and did it wrong and it didn't work like they were they were expecting and they were kind of anticipating and looking for a failure, uh, you will find it. You'll find yeah. lots of fallible, awkward people who are well-intentioned and to be honest, they're just trying to relate to you and they, they step all over the whole process. See, I told it, you that wouldn't work. Yeah. So if you're, if you're looking for it, you're going to find it. Sure. Um, there, there are some, there are some, there's some classic blunders that I've watched over the years of people that, that were giving what they thought was helpful. And they, to be honest, most of us give what we want. Right. Mm. And if that doesn't quite fit the other person's experience, uh, yeah, it's super likely that someone can say, well, that was just way off the mark. I've, I've had people that have come and do that in my individual sessions where they, I, I ask them, Hey, what do you want? Which happens a lot in group therapy. What do you want from this process? What do you, what do you plan on giving? What do you want to receive in this process? And people of course, reserve the right to not give people decent information. And at the end of it, they say, well, you didn't guess my issues or you didn't say the magical words correctly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but welcome to what happens in all relationships, right? So I'm not going to tell my spouse what I need, but I want them to magically guess in the name of love what was going on for me. <laughs> and then I'm going to dance some kind of awkward victory dance that I was right about. Now we're, now we're both back to being lonely. You know, and that reminds me of, of kind of going back. I, I know when we present uh, and, and teach together, I hear you talk a lot about training your therapist to get out of it what you want, mm -hmm. which, uh, which is a unique I love that because it's a unique way of looking at what do you want? Are you, are you really going to push for what you want or are you just going to throw it out there and say, you have to guess, mm -hmm. you have to guess. And I'm going to sit over here and be quiet and you have to guess what my problem is yeah. versus, you know, uh, and it goes back to the risk of, of taking a risk and, and throwing yourself out there is, do you want to be healthy? Do you want to have some peace in your life from some of these things? And I think that's where kind of cultural competence comes in. I, I think it's important to have a, a therapist that, for one, can acknowledge how uh, how badly this could go. Yeah, I, I, I've seen some therapists that uh, have this, uh, I suppose, a Pollyannish idea of if we're all just going to share our feelings, it's going to be great. And after you share, it's going to feel so amazing. And they ask questions like that, right? Don't you feel so much better now that you shared? And the person's like, "Fuck no." <laughs> I took a huge leap, and it was zero of what I expected. So I, I, I think there's there is something about uh, that leadership in those groups, and, and recognizing that um, 
there's a cultural element that we bring with us when we come to these things. All of us are bringing tons of different experiences with our families and our parents and our partners. We bring all of that with us to group, and we project all over the group, and we expect all sorts of things. So um, there's a messy feature to it. But the cool part about it is in uh, when you have a healthy group, um, it gets to be real-time learning. Um, there's, there gets to be some vicarious learning. Like I've seen lots of guys who have been very cautious, show up, arms crossed, legs crossed, just like, you know, I dare you to talk to me. I've seen those kind of moments before. And, uh, and I've seen them look across the group and watch someone that's just like them. I mean, I've, I've, I've had a, a number of SWAT commanders over the years that the epitome of a badass, right? Um, and, and, and read something and share something that is, uh, they might even point to, like, here's a piece of my armor that, that cost me my marriage. And, and here's, here's a, a reason why my kid won't talk to me. And it's my fault. And I had choices to improve it, and I chose not to. And, and it's amazing to watch that guy take some risk, and everyone, um, the opposite happens of what this skeptic thinks. We respect him more, because he was still honest, he was still accountable, and I respect those, 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 those qualities. So I, I think that real-time learning of watching someone else do this thing. Um, I think there's a ton of credibility that gets gained. I think there's a lot of cool um, connections that are made, and I, I can't count how many times I've seen after the SWAT commander's done talking, or even acknowledging like, hey, I'm really shitty at talking about my feelings. I mean, he didn't have to say anything else besides that. Just acknowledge like, man, I'm not good at this, and I'm used to being good at stuff, and this is way outside of my comfort zone. And then my skeptic who's sitting there brand new, fresh off the boat is saying like, man, thanks for saying that. And that's the first words they've said to anybody about their emotions in you know, decades. So I, I do think there's some cool sparks that other people um, can start that we can really benefit from. But I think when those, when those healthy group dynamics happen, uh, it kind of takes on a life of its own. And that's, as a, as a clinician, that's definitely my favorite part, is it when it's no longer about some boring professional rattle off some information that you probably have seen in a pamphlet and you may have heard some debriefing about years ago. But what happens when people come into group and say, I, I want this to be different. I've got to figure out how to you know, save my marriage. And uh, you ladies in the room, I need to understand what I, what I keep on doing wrong. And guys, I need to understand, hey, when I do this sort of thing, you got to help me out. I can't keep on doing it or it's going to cost me everything. Those are really awesome moments that are not according to the book. The No One Fights Alone podcast is excited to announce the launch of our new merchandise line. Now you can show your support for our mission by purchasing one of our hats, shirts, or hoodies. Our merchandise not only represents our brand and message, but also supports a great cause. A portion of all proceeds will go towards helping individuals and families affected by mental health. Wearing our merchandise not only spreads awareness for our podcast, but also serves as a reminder that no one has to fight alone. Join us in showing your support and spreading the message of hope and community by purchasing one of our No One Fights Alone items today. 
from our website, nofapodcast.com, nofapodcast.com. I think a huge part of group is feedback, right? We talk about feedback a lot at Chateau and, you know, what that looks like, but there has got to be, and, and you once again, tell me if I'm wrong, there's got to be a certain level of power um, of feedback that comes from peers and not from a clinician. Oh yeah. Like there, there is a point where, and, and to be honest, I have probably received better feedback from a peer who has been through something that I've been through than a clinician. Now we're not talking, yeah, we're not talking tools. We're not talking, you know, those kind of things, but just feedback in general of somebody that is in the same group as me, same place as me and the power that it holds. Right. Oh yeah. <clears throat> but I think part of that is the, again, I'm thinking about your expertise, Ben, that's part of this is the artistry of a group lead knowing when to throw a topic out there, facilitate a something stimulating to the emotion or the mind and then just letting it soak and saying, okay, who's going to jump on that? Yeah. No, I, I think that's interesting. And I, I think that's true. I mean, a lot of new clinicians who are eager to help, uh, lots of professionals, not just clinicians, who are really um, probably at times a little insecure and not sure where their place is. And uh, they see a shiny object that shows up in group of some person shares a good idea. And then the clinician's like, oh my gosh, I've got the best speech for this. It's going to be so amazing, right? Welcome to every parent in the world that right. sees their kid do something. They're like, oh, my gosh, I got a great story from my childhood. That's going to be amazing. It's going to change their life after I share it. <laughs> Rarely does it ever have that kind of landing that we hope. Um, but you're right, Austin. I, I think there's uh, there's lots of moments. I think a good clinician is is going to wait and watch and invite other people to get into the discussion and uh i've i've loved it when when people that are skeptical have already watched and benefited from someone else speaking up and uh they start to say okay i don't have a solution for you but i'm here that sucks i see you i see you um and this is this is one of those things where I've been in your spot for a bunch of years now, and that's part of why I was thinking about ending my life because I I couldn't see any way out. But those those moments from a peer make make all the difference, even though there's no solution. I I think that ironically brings more hope to the conversation than some of the best dynamic neuro development <laughs> sort of focused conversations that are out there. We we think that education is what's going to change someone's life. And it's just not, it's going to be those connections. It's going to be those moments where we, we feel like someone has really paused everything and just let us have the floor and acknowledge that our suffering, even though we do a great job on our own, usually of disqualifying our own suffering, someone else treat, treats it in a way that's very serious. And it's a very solemn sort of moment. So I, I think those, those experiences, um, if anything, kind of rebuild people's hope and humanity in the future and, and things changing in their lives. Um, but yeah, those are moments that uh, peers speaking up. And as we talk about that, that, that probably ends up as you, as you look down the line a little bit, and I hope I'm not, you know, going, going too fast. That is, that is the difference 
that, that needs to happen in different departments around the country is someone speaking up and saying, hey, I'm struggling. And someone else in that group, even though it's not a formal therapy group, saying, I see you, it makes sense, we're, we're here for you, we connect with you, and let's let's spend some time. But um, everyone's nervous about coming to this therapeutic bubble and sharing some things. And most of them, within a few days, sometimes hours, realize, I've made a good decision. I'm, I'm glad that I'm here, that I'm connecting, and I'm sharing different kind of things, and I'm, I'm, I'm finding some relief. But behind all of those conversations is this nagging anxiety of, I'm going to go back home to this other group that I'm also a part of, and I don't know if I'm safe and I can use these kinds of skills besides this bubble in Utah. So um, having experience uh, developing some real practical confidence in speaking up and, and connecting with people, um, it really is one of those fundamental things that I think makes a huge difference in not just the therapeutic process, but in people's projections of the future. Growth. Yeah, for sure. So let's talk about some of the, the maybe some of the less enjoyable portions of, of maybe some misinformation or, or misconceptions of, of group. Let's, I don't, I don't want to ignore that because some of these are, you know, the, Hey, they're going to, um, they're going to talk about my stuff is, you know, the, let's, let's visit a little bit about the confidentiality piece of, 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 you know, how do you, how do you introduce that? How do you, how do you connect with that? How do you make a safe room as it were? How do you do that? Great, great point. Um, it's usually there's, there's a, a number of commitments about confidentiality before you ever get to group, right? Um, people coming to treatment, that, that is uh, a constant concern. Um, in group, we talk about it, you know, we, we discuss something called group norms. Uh, some groups talk about it on a more indirect level, but we try and be very direct about it, that, uh, hey, Safety, physical and emotional safety is, is some of the biggest factors uh, that, that determine the success of a group. Everyone needs to feel like I can share and what I share is not going to be used against me. Um, the, the challenge of it is that, you know, people do have experience of people being dishonest and saying, hey, I'm, you know, they, they made that commitment back home and they broke their word and they did their own thing and that's a real challenge. So it... it um, on, a, on an organizational level, we, we try and bring it up weekly of this is what safety is, this is how you can benefit from it, and this is what the expectations are. And we, we do go on an individual basis with anyone that comes to treatment and say, do you understand what the consequences are? And, and again, um, that's, that's a challenge, and it's going to bring up people's trust issues. But confidentiality, um, the biggest concern people typically have is uh, documentation. You know, especially for professionals, um, lots of professionals die every year because they're worried that I'm going to share something and that something is going to cost me my job or my freedom or something like that. And so, and unfortunately, there's some really horrible stories of people being right and, and something did happen or it was. Uh, I, I think that it's probably pretty inflated. I think there's probably not as many true stories as people say and think about. But the reality is, yeah, they're extra nervous. Hey, there's a staff in the room or there's someone who's jotting down notes. Uh, it's not nearly as condemning or 
uh, negative as they think they are. Um, but yeah, they're really nervous that if I'm on the record somehow, uh, that what I say and do is, is going to be twisted and, and manipulated in some way. And it's going to put my, my, my choices at risk. Um, so we, we try and reassure folks that, Hey, um, you know, in the last 10 years I've been doing this in this particular setting, I've never had an experience where, you know, we had to volunteer any kind of notes from group for, to some judge or some situation. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the fantasies that people create, unfortunately, about, um, you know, sharing a thought or a feeling or admitting they've got a diagnosis or admitting that they are getting some kind of support, whether that's clinically or medically, that being twisted into, we got you, and now we want your career. <laughs> um, it just hasn't happened in my experience. Are, are there... Are there experiences out there? I, I, I guarantee it there are. But I think this this uh, boogeyman of the, the the medical clinical world is going to come and sweep and, and take these things away from me. Um, it just hasn't happened to my experience. Yeah, I mean, think about people. I mean, I hear it all the time on the front end. Well, I have a security clearance or I have this. Mm -hmm. And that puts me in danger of being able to do X, Y, or Z. And I mean, yeah, same in the six years i've been here five years i've been here that not once have we been approached by anyone no one's security clearance has been changed or, or yeah. anything regarding that and not saying it doesn't happen because we know it does um but it's very rare so and there's 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 the lots of layers of protection that we want to try and, and and create some safety with i mean on a, on a logistic level, yeah, we want to explain kind of the, the legal realities to folks about how documentation works and about how, how that portion of safety happens. But we also try and help people understand, like, if you are under the impression that this is going to be used in a particular way, then today might not be your day. Don't don't share it. Yeah. Don't talk about it. Like, there's there's nothing um, that, that is going to be mandated or required of you. And so that might be something that you just share on an individual basis with your therapist. If anything, there's probably people that, um, to be honest, are uh, unfortunately probably over-disclosing at times in group. <laughs> I've seen a lot of folks, and uh, God bless them, some of our military folks that start talking about combat and these things, and there's dead burning bodies and there's there's a level of graphic detail to their stories where we're like i think we get it <laughs> we don't we don't need every little piece of this there's a time and place for that story and it may not be in this particular group and, I, and to be honest i've had some groups where um that was the point of the group is what are the stories that you can't tell your family what are the stories you can't typically tell in group in this particular setting let's do it let's throw it out there and let's 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 take uh, for a lot of reasons. One, it's maybe too graphic or it's too too heavy for the family or sure. you don't feel safe. Right. I mean, there's a variety of reasons there why. Oh, totally. I, I can't count how many folks have come in saying, like, I just stopped talking about what happened at work. And and uh, that ends up creating – so that what they end up doing sometimes is they just decide to stop sharing not only the content of the story but all the emotions, all Impact. the humanity, and they just stop talking, period. And so I, I think a lot of people, especially when it comes to groups and in this treatment process, are trying to figure out where, what, what can you talk about? What, how do I still be seen in my own home without freaking them out? And group is a great place for people to start to understand that. And, but I want to highlight a point that you just made. 
I'm not advocating you go to group and just stay silent, but you can go to group and not talk and benefit greatly from being there. Sure. I mean, I just want to point right. out, you, you brought that up a while ago that, Hey, your attendance of hearing me, hearing Austin's story and me saying, wow, I'm not alone. That's a, that's a, you know, that's a great part of the group itself and not advocating. You should sit there and be quiet the whole time. But the reality is, you don't feel safe speaking you can also draw benefit from hearing yeah however much this hurts my ego to say uh the most influential groups in my life that i've been a part of and i can think of them right now as as ben was talking were ones that i actually didn't share anything about myself sure now i've shared plenty but the ones that really hit home for me were the ones that i just sat back and listened and listen to how someone else dealt with something or something that they've experienced that I had also gone through. Well, when are, when we're in our own head and highlighting our own ego, we're not listening. We're sitting there thinking about what can I say to promote myself and, and get this information out there. I'm not listening to you. I'm actually in my own head about what can I say next? Yeah. Well, that's another point to bring up, Ben, is I'm sure you've also experienced people that have come into group to solidify their place and talk about he's chuckling. Yeah. Talk about the things that make them the big deal that they are. Let me, let me respond to that, but I want to go back to this piece about not sharing in group. Um, I, I totally agree. I mean, the, the funny thing is that, you know, we've got this old worn out analogy about, you know, if you're in the barber shop long enough, you're probably going to get a haircut. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I'm a better person for being around a lot of brave people who have decided to not hide, to not minimize, and to not get their ass kicked by that voice in their head that tells them that they're going to be rejected. So I, I do think it's pretty powerful being around people who have decided to, to speak up and to do something different, to take those risks. Um, oh, yeah, I, I, I can't count how many times I've advocated to normies and my family and people who do not understand the mental health or recovery world to show up to a 12-step meeting, show up in some other place and just watch because it's, it's wild. There's nothing like it. And average folks, unless they are, uh, they've, I mean, the joke is uh, some people don't ever become qualified enough to join us in the rooms of, of talking about some of these mental health challenges but I guarantee you, when you're there, you you get to experience parts of yourself, whether you're just relating, maybe you're vicariously kind of connecting with some things. But um, when you're around that, I, I I can't imagine being around hours of people who are uh, just in the arena, as Brene Brown says it, but just kind of facing those the, the fire, and and not you know they don't get all the points for skill and for tact and for style but but the, the reality is they're there they show up i i don't know how you don't walk out of those rooms feeling like i can push myself a little bit more i can i can be a little bit more accountable i can be a little bit more gentle i can be a little bit more empathic um but there is a lot of micro self-correction that happens when we're around that kind of growth and uh it's not conscious but but being saturated in an environment where um, those kinds of values are demonstrated. It just does good for our soul, and no one, no one may have a clue about it. 
You know, no one's making you make a pinky promise within the group that you're going to change all of your relationships. But if you're hanging out with a guy who's really doing a, a fearless inventory about who they are and how far they've deviated from their values, and he's now making a corrective action, I, I don't think your next conversation with your partner or spouse or your kid's going to go the same. You may not plan it a right. certain way, but that, that cannot not affect you. Right. So anyway, I, I think there is something, uh, uh, and after a while, I do think that we, we crave to be a part of it because we see the benefit happening. We, we see the humanizing. We see the acceptance. We see those kinds of things happen. And um, yeah. I'm we, better for hearing that. I'm better for hearing it, and I'm, I'm getting closer to finding my way out of my endless excuses or these defense mechanisms or this armor that I've put on years ago. And that that's a cool thing to watch. And it's not something that we always have to articulate, but we we get to find that path out of it um, by just being around. Because maybe it's not keeping me as safe as I thought it was. Yeah. Maybe maybe I've been living this lie or maybe I've been tricked. And, and welcome to the conversations around ego and shame is that you know, our ego is incredibly good at keeping us safe. But it is usually one of the things, uh, the byproduct of that safety is I, I, I spend a lifetime being misunderstood. So, so circling back on yeah, that sorry. segue and that ego back to Austin's point of facilitating and directing these egos in the group. I think that was where Austin was going with it was, yeah, you know, people who they come in and say, I'm the best in here and my story is the most important. So I'm going to share it. Well, there's a strange thing in group therapy to where there becomes a comparative portion. Sure. Right. If somebody shares something terrible to you, every once in a while you will get the person in there that's like, oh, you think that's bad. Let me tell you sure. about how the one up from yeah it went. I for caught me. one this big, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I and I will be blatantly honest. I think I've done that before. I to somebody where I'm like, oh, you think that that and whether it was a personal, it probably was a personal attack actually for me. But like me just being like, oh, you think that's bad? Well, let me tell you what happened in my life so you can get over it. Because you probably think I know personally. My view is that I think they deserve it. Somebody needs to. Yeah, well, mine was like the, God, quit bitching. Yeah. Like, let me tell you this, and it's way worse than you've ever experienced, so I'm better than you because I overcame what's worse. The message is shut the fuck up. Yeah, it's not good. It's not I, good. I, am a, I am a better victim than you ever were. Yes, <laughs> yep. <laughs> I... I, I love watching that dynamic because oh. no one wants to believe they're a victim, but that is the point of every one-upping story ever. Yeah. 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 Is it I, I got shit on for whatever reason and I overcome it, which I hope is their point. <laughs> Oftentimes they don't get past the uh, I got screwed and that's what I want you to know about me. Yeah. I, I wish that wasn't the case. But no, I, I think that's a tough one. When it when it comes to groups um, – yeah, there there are some folks, um, and I would I would argue this is probably a, a little bit of all of us. Some sometimes it's more than a little bit, um, where we've 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 been probably a little isolated and a little misunderstood and a little stuck, and um, and I think when we're there in that spot, it, it kind of metastasizes into um, a neediness that we're not very good at owning. 
and I think uh, it, it'd be great if, if we could all show up and say, I, I probably just need a hug. I, I want you to take me seriously. I want you to acknowledge me. And I wish there was a more assertive, uh, kind of candid things we could do to acknowledge that there's ways to kind of soothe our insecurity. Uh, unfortunately, it, it, it often comes out in this more passive aggressive, yeah. like, I, I need you to take care of me. And, and you, need to, you need to give me a compliment. And there's this manipulative nature that exists uh, in all of us where we, we um, and maybe it's because we've just been in our head forever, but we, we don't think that an honest, assertive, vulnerable request is going to go well. But I, I see a lot of the egos that come in. And unfortunately, it is, I've got to be louder. And again, may, most people have experience with that skill and the skill worked. They, they may have. I've got to kick the staff out of the room. What, what's that? I got to kick all the staff out of the room. I don't know who that guy was. <laughs> what an asshole! What an oh, asshole man. he was. <laughs> You're a bunch of incompetent idiots. Um, but I, I, I think that's tough. I, I think there's moments where, uh, uh, I, I think you know, I, I've chuckled at as I've watched it dozens of times. Um, but I, but I think there's moments where, um. Uh, unfortunately, some of those things have to happen. Yeah. I I, I, I think it is a little strange, but I, I think it's when someone kind of lets down their guard and they just might have a portion of their personality that just kind of is a selfish prick. Um, that is me. <laughs> yeah. But I, when, when, when that happens, though, I, I think it probably sets up, to your point earlier, that their, their peer gets to come in and say, do you have any idea how you sound? I think your point was this and do you know what your actual point was it was this mm -hmm. and and those are great moments but i but i think there's um yeah it, it ends up kind of exposing us which i think is one of our primary concerns when it comes to group is it might i might actually <laughs> what if i am understood what if someone realizes that i actually have been an asshole for a, a long time or this is that my wife might have had a point I mean, that's the other part that's dangerous when you come to a group experience. Um, these things that that uh, may have sabotaged my my personal life, you guys might bump into it too, and my my bigger fears might come true. And that's that people might leave me. They might they might reject me. They may not understand. So I I do think it's it's more likely in a group setting with some professionals involved or at least someone that's been around, even, even some of your peers that have been there for a minute. Um, when you're in that kind of setting for a little bit longer, I think there does uh, probably get a higher, um, I think there's a, there's a bigger, um, I don't know, wrong word. I think there's a larger portion of empathy that is likely to be applied to you than other places. I, I think if you were to speak up and, and fully strut your selfishness in some settings, people are going to be like, you're definitely an asshole. The, the, the cool part about a therapeutic setting when it's healthy is that you might demonstrate your assholeness, but there is someone likely to be in the room that says, I understand this is not you. That this is a, this is a defense mechanism that you have, and you've got probably hundreds of great stories of why you've kept it that way. But the truth is there's probably more to you than that. And that, that doesn't happen in typical conversations. Uh, unfortunately, we're all in a big hurry to, to uh, kind of transition through those sort of experiences way too quick. But I, I think in a decent setting, 
your ego can show up and someone can say, what else is really going on? And what else do you really want us to know about you? Because that's not the only thing that's true. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. I do think uh, that I'm reminded many times of just working day in, day out of that type of thing happening. Uh, and what resonates with me is we don't have those conversations in day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. That that part resonated with me because there's uh, there's a there's something that happens when you when you go through this and you experience this kind of group interaction. Those conversations start to happen out in the real world. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, I see you. You are an asshole, but I see you. Right. I see, you don't have to be that right. with me. I, I think when you're in that kind of setting, it, it does raise the bar. Yeah. It's why why do we I've had lots of folks who are like, I'm trying to figure out why we play so many games in my department or right. in my family. And why do we why do we use ten thousand passive aggressive words to express an actual idea that really means something and that could change everyone's day? So I, I like that. I, I think it's important to walk out of uh I, I would say that's when the comparison actually becomes useful of I've seen healthy, and I can I can do something a little bit better. I've seen lots of folks who have left the group setting and say, I think I want to start to duplicate some of these skills and some of these ideas on a family level, and I wonder how that works. And it's awesome when they recognize that, hey, borrow all of this stuff, practice all of these things. This this is your this is your sandbox while you're here, but we want you to have some positive repetition with trying some new things. Because you're not going to go home and just be good at this stuff naturally because you read a book about it. That's just not how people work. You're going to practice on me and on my staff and with your peers, and you're going to walk away with some do's and some don'ts, and there's going to be some things you'd like to really do and that there's things you felt success with that you're more likely to do with your kid or your spouse or your whatever. So that that is some of the really cool things that happen down the line of... Um, taking some of those risks but at home the idea is okay we can we can do it a little bit better and i i can't count how many people have come to the program saying i just don't know where to start so so watching people fail in group or on an individual basis there's some real education that comes from that so i i i really think it's cool as we hear stories from our alumni that they've said hey, there was this one thing we did in group where we kind of checked in, we were kind of honest, we were more grateful, we were more connected, and we, we did those kinds of things, and we were, um, yeah, it was a 12-minute part of our day, you know, sometimes two-minute part of their day. And I've, I've tried to replicate a piece of that in the morning with my kids or my spouse, or once a week we had some kind of a plan, or we just put away the games for a second and quit being so passive and started just saying what we needed and wow, that that changed the way we navigate all sorts of problems. What uh, th- this is a great conversation. What, if anything, have we kind of left off the table about group that maybe you feel like uh, should be discussed as we kind of uh, wrap up and and start to close out here? This is a great conversation. But is there things that you think maybe the listeners should or or would want to hear um, in advocating the The great detail, the, the finer nuances of group therapy. Um, I don't know if I'd be different stuff, but I, uh, the, the comment alone, and obviously uh, to the point of the podcast, uh, you're, you're not alone. Um, 
I, I think that is, um, even in the most boring days of group, even when you are uh, in your head struggling to focus and you've got, you know, a thousand tasks in front of you for the week, um, if, if you slow down for a moment, and, and, and hopefully you've got a, a couple of skills that can help quiet the noise. You can just be present with someone else. You are going to learn. You, you are going to see that um, the struggle is real. Their pain is real. Yours is worth talking about. Um, I, I think that is uh, one of the ironies of our culture is that we've got a ton of people that have a ton to give that are struggling right next to you. And you have no idea what kind of suffering is in the room with you. But if you do stop for a moment and, and ask a couple of questions or at least just be present enough with them, you're going you're gonna to learn something big about humanity and something big about yourself. And it, and it will point you in a direction of how you can be a little bit better. You know, I think, I think the description that resonates with me there is some of the older crusty, and, and obviously my field is law enforcement, some of the older crusty hands, they have already experienced some of this. I see you. I, I, mm-hmm. I, you know, you're, you're not... I may not like what you're doing, but I actually see why you're doing it and because I was there and that's some of that, but that, uh, you know, I think we were having a conversation, uh, right before we started, which is there's been a lot of things, uh, we can look at, um, you know, COVID being one, there's a number of things that have happened the last several years, uh, that have drawn people away from each other. And I think this is a great reminder that we benefit greatly by being connected right. and staying connected. Is that fair? Yeah, totally agree. Pack I, animals. I, I, I think right. it's a I think it's one of the easiest way to get some self-respect back. Mm. Being oh, wow. present. Be present with someone. Keep your stories for yourself for a second and just connect and just learn and to uh, be of service. I, I think that does a ton for our self-worth. That's a great place to stop right there. So, so I'm gonna I'm gonna reiterate that. Being involved in a group setting is a great way to begin to get your self-respect back. Yeah. Wow, that's a powerful line. Love it. Ben, as always, thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Love having you on. You are a man amongst boys, Ben. (laughs) (laughs) Chateau Health and Wellness is a 16-bed treatment facility nestled in the foothills of the Wasatch Mountains in Midway, Utah. Chateau's first responder resiliency program is designed to treat the unique challenges and issues that first responders encounter in the course of their careers. Chateau's comprehensive and highly individualized approach to treatment addresses more than just the presenting issues. It addresses the why. Each of their seasoned, trauma-trained, and culturally competent therapists utilize evidence-based, specialized therapies to treat trauma at its core and enable clients to begin the healing process while developing a resilient and healthy relationship with stress. Chateau Health and Wellness is trusted by departments and agencies from around the country to treat responders and veterans. In fact, it is one of only a handful of facilities nationwide that is vetted and approved to treat members of the Fraternal Order of Police. For more information or to speak to a representative, Go to ChateauRecovery.com or call 888-507-5031.